0: Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Cybersecurity Podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders to talk about their industry passions and challenges that they're facing. I'm Stephen from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and I help businesses connect with top cybersecurity talent in the UK. But today, I'm your host for this roundtable discussion. Today, I'm joined by Hannah Johnston at Slimming World, Alex Vucic at the University of Northampton, Becky McClory at Paylink Solutions. And Liz Green at Dell. Today we'll be kicking off our series entitled Breaking Barriers, Promoting Diversity in Cyber and Information Security with Episode 1, The Modern Perspective with Women in Security. Let's head round and introduce ourselves. Becky.
1: Hi, yeah, I'm Becky. Um, I'm Head of Information Security at Paylink Solutions and I have been now for just slightly over a year after transitioning
2: from 15 years in the military.
0: Fantastic stuff.
2: Hannah, Hey yeah, I'm Hannah Johnston. I'm uh, the cybersecurity manager for Slimming World. Um I've been with them for around eighteen months and prides that I've been in the industry about nine years.
0: Brilliant stuff.
2: And Alex? Hey yeah. I'm Alex. I've been um I'm head of
3: cybersecurity and compliance at the University of Northampton. Uh, been here just over a year. Um and I've been in information security for eight years.
0: Fantastic stuff. And last but not uh, by no means least, Liz.
4: Hello, I'm Liz Green. I'm the advisory and cyber leader at Dell Technologies. I've been working with clients to help them build strategies to better respond and recover from catastrophic cyber attacks. Been doing that for about five years and been at Dell for seven. Um, American living in, in London and, uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here today.
0: Fantastic stuff. Thank you. I think before we jump into the conversation, it's worthwhile, uh, pointing out that the views expressed by myself and our guests today are our own views. They don't necessarily reflect any official positions or policies within our organisations. This is just an open forum for a discussion where individuals can share their ideas, their thoughts and their feelings. So in terms of this podcast series, what I wanted to do was talk fairly broadly about diversity and inclusion, particularly shining a light on some of the different diverse communities that we as a cyber and information security broader picture should be doing more to try and include and the importance of trying to include um, maybe marginalised communities and marginalised talent pools within our markets. We're starting today obviously, talking about the uh, the female side of the talent pool, uh, massively underrepresented within cyber security, There's a number of different topics that we have highlighted that we want to go through and talk about here. We're by no means going to address everything that everybody would ever like to speak about within diversity within a one-hour podcast, but we're going to at least start this conversation. So let's get started with our first topic area. Um, I want us to talk about the variety of career paths, both into security but within security as well as successful women within security how have you identified opportunities for your own growth your own career progression and is there anything that we can do as a community to better promote or signpost these opportunities for female candidates big question who wants to start us off go on becky i'm gonna to come to you that's smi- my that's that smile was too enticing <laughs> um so like I say, I've only just transitioned from the military for like, uh, say, after
1: 50 years and I've only been in sort of the civilian environment for a year. Um, so for me, it was, you know, I had to do a lot of research and sort of look at what sort of obviously roles there were that were available and sort of married up with the sort of skills, experience and qualifications that I held within the military itself. Um, and um, I found it quite difficult to sort of align myself with some of the roles within the civilian sort of side of the world. And um, say, because there's such a sort of a big gap between what sort of the military qualifications sort of align to within the civilian world. Um, So I found sort of trying to network and talk to people and sort of just having to delve into sort of the roles that are out there and really sort of digging deep into, okay, well, there's... What do I like to do? I don't want to just put myself into a role that might not fit myself and my personality. I think you've got to want to do the role and enjoy the role that you're going to go into. So I think it's important to make sure that it's not just sort of ticking the boxes of what looks good and what sort of feels like it's going to fit. It's it's putting your yourself into those roles that suit your personality because I think a lot of the and um, sort of cybersecurity and information roles are p- personality led to a point. Um, it's sort of a difficult role to have to do and say so we never really sort of have the budgets to do what we'd really like to do with the roles. So a lot of it is personality-based. And um, so I think, yeah, the, from my perspective, it was sort of having to really delve into sort of what's out there, what would fit my personality and having discussions with people that were already in those roles um, and just seeing how sort of that felt.
0: I think that's yeah, actually... something we've all spoken about, isn't it, that the, the, the personal aspects, the, the, the human touch of cyber and information security is such a key thing. But the difficulty is that's not always massively indicated when it comes to job descriptions and when it comes to adverts. It's something that I as I as a recruiter I have to specifically try and do is engage with people based on the human aspects. It could be quite quite a tough thing to do, but interesting point there, Becky, yeah. go on. Sorry
4: Liz. I no, it's fine. I was just gonna add, you know, there's so many different jobs within cybersecurity. And I think one thing that would be really helpful and maybe the rest of this group can share is kind of what do you do on a day to day basis? Because um, in my role today, I do have technical background, but I don't necessarily need that technical background. It definitely helps me that I understand how these systems work. But um, I really need good communication skills. I need good listening skills to understand what, what challenges my clients are facing. I need to like to work with other people. Um, so collaboration is key on um, my background. I mean, I studied philosophy at university, so I couldn't be farther from someone <laughs> with STEM backgrounds, but yet I'm in quite a niche space now. So I almost think as well, it'd be great for more women to share their story, where they came from, where they are now. And, and not this could be you. I mean, I got my CSSP two years ago. So, and I, people say, oh, you don't need that. You know, that's quite technical. I'm too technical for you. Um, excuse me, it's fine. I, I know I'm saying. <laughs> Um, so I think it would be great, Hannah, Alex, Becky, to hear a bit more as well about your stories. Um, maybe you were always second think Alex, you mentioned that when we spoke last week, but, um, I'd be interested, yeah, still to hear how you've, how you've gotten to where you, you are. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I mean, you've kind of,
3: I think you've kind of alluded to, well, both, you know, Liz and Becky is that there's not that much information out there, so I kind of growing up, I was very much into computers. Um, you know, I had like all my friends were guys. We just did computers, which you know is probably not your your average, I guess, you know, female teenager. Um, and then that kind of led me into a path of of IT. Um, I took some time out and and kind of went to you need to do law, which was kind of to the side, but then came back and um, the way that I got in into information security was from IT but I had to do a lot of the groundwork myself so I had to reach out to I was in at the company at the time I had to reach out to the head of information security and say "Hi, yeah, you know introduce myself you know I you know, how do I get a job in your team essentially I had to research on like forums what you know um, what the right qualifications were and then start studying towards you know my kind of CompTIA security plus that type of stuff and then Thankfully, I don't know how, but, you know, maybe a bit of luck, a recruiter contacted me about sort of an information security analyst role in financial services, um, and I kind of went for it thinking... I never would have gone for it if I hadn't been contacted because I would have just thought, there's no way I'm going to get that. Uh, And then, yeah, I kind of came in there and then um, got my second role through someone I worked with in financial services, kind of became head of information security and then contacted me and said, you know... You need to interview for this job. It would be great to have you on the team. And then I was kind of there for quite a few years. So I guess I came up from a technical background um, and then grew into um, so my place previous to this. I was doing, you know, 27,001, all of that fun stuff, as well as, you know, normal bits and bobs around incident response, etc. Um, but yeah, kind of like grabbed all of the, that tool set along the way, if that makes sense but the path in was sort of my own making no one kind of helped me or, or kind of guided me into it I had no one like you know us kind of four sat around the table I had no one to kind of go what are what are these people doing How I get in it was kind of like you were this unicorn back then <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what does you know Liz mentioned it there what, what does your day-to-day look like Alex in terms of responsibilities at at your level what does your day-to-day look like
3: um I mean it's probably a bit of like a, a cliche answer but it's a bit of everything so I I do a lot of I guess team management you know making sure that my team are okay and happy um you know I could be doing parts of I guess you know setting the strategy roadmap you know kind of amending all of that I could be doing a presentation to kind of executive um, could be doing sort of like metrics, incident response. It's kind of because I'm in such a small team and I don't know if you know the rest of you guys are from small teams, but we kind of do a lot of everything. Um, so I I like to kind of touch into everything and make sure that I understand a lot of it, which obviously can be tiring. Um, but yeah, that's a bit of, of everything. Uh, probably more security ops, security architecture at the moment, just because our GRC side is a bit more... Oh, but yeah, it's it's a lot
2: of fun.
0: What about yourself, Hannah?
2: Yeah, so um, <clears throat> it's interesting, isn't it? So I started my career off in sales, actually, and did that for years, and just realised that for me it just wasn't my path. It just didn't excite me. Still, you know, I all powers people do. I have a lot of respect, but for me it wasn't enough. So I took a massive pay cut and went and worked as a first line support in IT because I've been because like yourself, Alex, been tinkering around for years, could build machines, do all that, but wanted to go into it. And as I got into that and got through, I suddenly realised that this is all very well and good, but it's not very exciting. But what is exciting is that security stuff that that guy's doing there. So what's going on there? (laughs) And I realised that if I was going to go forward, excuse me, I'd have to become specialised. So I went back to university a bit later in life, a bit similar to yourself, Uh, studied computer forensics and security, actually. So, um, which, yeah, was great. And then went back in to work again and then had the opportunities because of my degree to move myself forward. However, like everybody who said here, there was no guidance. There was no, oh, this is the path you need to go. It's a mm-hmm. case of, okay, it's vast. Um, I'll go with the needs of the business. So start off like yourself, Alex, in a very technical aspect, and then work my way over to the GRC side. So I have a bit of an all rounded knowledge, which is great. And now I'm to the point now where obviously I, I manage the team for Slimming World. Um, so, yeah, my day-to-day is quite similar to yours actually uh, in, in that, you know, we are a small team. I spend a lot of time. My biggest focus is probably the business is understanding the business needs and what value I can add by providing, you know, making sure we're secure. We you know, hold a lot of data. We hold a lot of stuff that's very personal. So ensuring that that's covered is really important. So my sales stuff filling off years ago has helped me really well because it allows me to talk to people and have that conversation which i think is something if you come from a very technical aspects, sometimes it's quite difficult so mm. yeah it, it's um it's been a bit of a journey but it, it's it's an exciting journey and I, I i really enjoy it. which i can see with the ladies i'm speaking to now absolutely the same so
0: yeah i think the you know th- that human element and, and and what it is that you're doing and like i said before that can be very tough to signpost the amount of influence and advisory work that people do within the security field. It can be very tough to make that clear to candidates, but it's something that I actively try to pursue with, you know, women who may be applying to or may be looking for roles. Try to make it as obvious as possible that the technical element a lot of the time doesn't carry as much weight as a job in cybersecurity might suggest. It, It can be such such an off-putting thing if you're not from the technical background. Like you say, said, Ada, you, you came from sales and had an interest in the tech. Um, it was never a career path. It can be quite daunting to make that move. Um, but knowing that that strange blend of I'm a very people person and I can get out there and speak to people, but I've got this love of tech. Well, that that's enough. That's all you need. You can then go and pursue an interesting career. And then, Liz, as you were saying, you, you came from a philosophy degree um, which, you know, nine times out of 10, when you're looking at people moving into cyber and into, into information security as a career path, there's an expectation that they come from STEM. And I think, I think it's, it, it's not necessarily relevant in the market because of the skill sets that you can bring to
4: it. I almost think as well, cybersecurity has changed so much in the last 15 years, just because you hired someone with, uh, you know, who started with a degree maybe 10, 15 years ago in cybersecurity. What does that even mean today? I mean, Mm. I think you just need to be someone who wants to learn and who's kind of mildly, even mildly interested in it. Um, Because I'm sure it's the same for you guys. Once you start looking at it, it's just fascinating. And I I think it's the absolute coolest thing you could be doing. Um, (laughs) So maybe we just need to be (laughs) Uh, leaving the flag a bit more because I mean this is where the action is I mean it is amazing I completely agree, Not completely, agree.
0: completely agree amazing let's jump into our second question then Um, obviously every person faces challenges within their career in, in in any walk of life but particularly in security Um, but in the interest of promoting security as a viable career option for female talent I think it's key that we normalize some of the challenges that you might have faced as women within the uh within the sector so other than some of the stuff we've talked about there like they're not being guidance they're not being a a career roadmap is there anything particular that you'd be happy to share with us in terms of challenges that you've faced but then happy to share with us how you've dealt with those challenges as being a woman within the security space
1: um I think one thing that I would sort of say to somebody that's looking at moving into a role within cybersecurity is obviously when I was looking, um, you're looking at the job specs and the job roles and there's all these obviously nice to have requirements and stuff and you're going through it and I think naturally as a woman you're going through and I'm like okay tick yeah I can do that yeah and then I'm like oh no and then I rule it out whereas I think there's a lot of you know I'm not saying that the women aren't confident and that men are overly more confident than women but I think Men are very good at putting themselves forward for something that perhaps they're not ticking all the boxes with. But it's a case of, well, you know, I'll throw myself in. And I think women are a little bit more reserved with that, and sort of don't want to go in and be like, okay, well, yeah, I can't tick the box for that. So you know, it's that I think we say we rule ourselves out sometimes at the first hurdle, and it's having that self, that that confidence and self belief that, okay, but well, I could do all these other ten bits that tick, you know, on this list. There's just this one that I can't. But it doesn't mean I can't do the job, so let me go for it. And you know, it's either going to be a yes or a no. And if it's a yes, great. Then you build and you develop once you're in that role. It's it's very easy to rule yourself out of something, and um, say before you actually throw your hat into the ring. So I think yeah, that would be a, a piece of advice for myself is don't rule yourself out because you're not ticking all the boxes. You you don't need to. Sometimes when you get into a role, there are other people that you're working with that sort of have specializations that you'll lean on, that they're there to have that technical knowledge, that sort of, that other sort of knowledge within that area and that scope of your role. You lean on them to give you that information, so then you can obviously process that and do what you need to do with it and able to do your job. You don't need to know everything. You (laughs) just need to be able to know where to find the answers and who from and then take those answers and roll with it.
0: I think it's something that we'll come back to later, that as a topic area, because I think it's quite quite a big differentiator between male and female talent not just within security but but in in any role um and particularly within tech where there is such a gender disparity um but yeah very very important thing to flag up um and i think that's something that we can try and influence as a conversation today is how people go about advertising go about contacting go about the recruitment process that's so a really worthy point you've made becky uh, but tough to tough to challenge on an individual level because actually convincing yourself from a confidence perspective that you have enough where you don't naturally think like that—that's that's such a, a a tough personal challenge. Um, but yeah, I'm sure one that a lot of a lot of people will be able to relate to. Thanks for sharing that, Becky. Thanks for sharing your ideas of of you know kind of throw it out the window. You're good enough. Just get your hat in the ring. Yeah. Brilliant, Hannah. What about yourself?
2: Yeah, so it's interesting. It's something I'm nodding away. Which is something that women do and naturally. she just in a meeting, you all know that women are a lot because they want to they recognize and they answer what you, you know, they agree and they, they you know, they're fully, feel, they're fully engaged. It's not to say that the other side of men aren't, it's nothing, they don't tend to. And when I first started particularly doing this sort of role, I found it quite unnerving that, that in the main, people don't often acknowledge what you say and that, that. Led to me to then suddenly try to display my level of knowledge to fulfill that the gap that I thought was there. But actually, that's not the territory. It's just that they're very different to us. And, you know, once you get over that, and I think for me, that's one of the biggest challenges I've had is to have that confidence to sit there and go, actually, I know what I'm talking about. They trust my judgment. So just take it slow, calm, think about it, you know, and, and, and give them the answers. Um, So, yeah, so going back to what you say, Becky, I think you're absolutely right. I've met many a job I've looked and gone, no, I can do about 90% of it. But there's that 10%, I'm not quite sure. But the reality is that's not what people are looking for. People are looking for personality now, they're looking for cultural (coughs) fit. They're looking for all those other key skills, people skills that are far more important than sometimes your technical skills. They can be learned. So yeah, I absolutely agree. So yes, I was nodding away. By the way, so obviously you can't <laughs> see, but yes, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna pick up on
0: that, Hannah. Uh, and obviously, mm. it, as as a as a male within this world, don't get me wrong, I'm not in the world in the same way that you are. Um, but I think it's key that that I be part of this conversation because I want to pick up yeah. on things like that. So you mentioned like the active listening, the agreeable nature that women tend to have more than men, and making sure that you're showing you're engaged so you don't then have to try and validate yourself to the point where somebody goes oh you clearly know what you're talking about what can um men within the space do to try and alleviate that as a problem for you as a woman with insecurity it, 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 Is there anything that that we don't do that you think oh, well actually if it, it might be something as simple as nodding along as showing you're actively listening is there anything that that people could do? It's interesting, isn't
2: it? Because it's a bit of a oh, sorry. Go on. No, listen. I'm no, sorry. No, no. I'm okay. <laughs> okay. I was just going to say it's an interesting topic, isn't it? Because it's a 50-50 thing, really. It's one. Mm. It's women having the confidence to think. Actually, no, I'm good. I've answered it, and also for men, but sometimes to say actually, you know, just that ag- acknowledgement would be quite nice. Sometimes just an occasional nod, or you know, it, with, and I don't for one second believe that someone's not listening. It's just. People react to people, don't they? And because yeah, of, of course. that, differences. So, uh, but I'll
4: leave that to Liz because I think she's go No, I would just agree with you and say it's, it's I think, it comes down to listening more than saying, I think, um, and acknowledging when a comment has been said, especially a, a smart comment. You know, I think we all know those comments we say where we're like, we're the only one who thought of that. And this, yes, that's really helpful. And yeah. I'm really glad I said that. And it's really nice when someone, anyone, doesn't matter who it is, says, that was a really good comment. And I think it's more just, you know, showing showing that you listened. And sometimes I think we we see people just repackage your comment and re-say it. And that's super frustrating. And I'm not saying that's necessarily something men do. But, you know, women do it too. People do it. I think it's just in general creating a culture where we acknowledge other people, um, what's been said, um, and, and give people kudos. I mean, I think that people want to work with people who acknowledge each other I think it's as simple as that
3: (laughs) okay I definitely think as well our feedback is quite is quite something that I I tend to get from women more than men so if I've done a presentation you know you you never quite know what's gone because you'll have people yeah nodding 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 and then they'll kind of say thank you and then um, I don't know maybe you leave you know the boardroom etc and then you think that actually go and I've found that quite often it will be Females who will message me to say that went really well or, you know, that kind of, you know, XYZ. And I think just having that feedback to kind of say like, you know, that was a really good talk or, you know, that that sounded really interesting or, you know, you came across really well. I think that's that's really helpful. And I've yeah not always had that from mm. male colleagues
0: i think that's i think that's healthy behavior anyway and i think i think in a growing workplace in a developing workplace the feedback loop should be regular and often and never closed and i think doing that not only improves the workplace the mental health the understanding and the performance of people within your team but if that is a particular issue that you as women have all identified with and agreed with it immediately addresses that and starts cutting out those problems. If you have that regular feedback loop, be it, be it weekly, be it daily, be it you know, whatever fits for you and your team. I think if people yeah. instigate that, that it, it starts to mitigate those problems that, that you've all just agreed with. Um, interesting, really interesting. Liz, any, any, anything uh, specific from you in terms of I challenges? Gonna add, I
4: was just going to add to that. Um, I think we need to create more of a culture around feedback and not just for good but for bad for bad things that come up right because people are learning all the yeah. time, mm-hmm. and we definitely don't want it to become a thing where it's men versus women we want to be collaborative here everyone is learning um and i think if there is a colleague on your team male or female who says something that is irritating or somehow discredits you or makes you feel a certain way i think we need to be better at calling them and you know, having it one-on-one and just saying, hey, look, you know, don't know if that was what you intended, but made me feel like this didn't appreciate it moving forward. Can you use language like this? Or can you do this? Um, nine times out of 10, when I've done that, they had no idea. And let me tell you, they haven't done it again. So I think <laughs> um we can create that. I think feedback sometimes we look at as pushing negative, but um, it's such a, it's such a gift. Someone told me that once it doesn't feel like it when you get it. But um I think that's, a key way for us to create this culture um that is positive, that is changing for the better, because we all have blank spots and biases. I mean, there's absolutely no way for us to know. Um, so I think that's that's something i've I've found anyway.
0: And, and I guess feedback isn't feedback unless it ends with a positive outcome. Be that learning, be that you know, increased communication, be it the bettering of a relationship, be it, be it a performance thing unless feedback has a positive outcome it, it isn't feedback um and, and i think instigating that whilst like you said maybe tough to hear at the time is only going to be positive for all involved so take gender take any sort of diverse workforce out of it, it it can only be a positive thing so if it if it does help with issues that are particularly pertinent to female candidates why would we not be implementing it anyway um yeah, I think, it's, I think it's very, very worthwhile.
4: I do think also sometimes we're too comfortable giving accolades to the wrong people. So I think just in general, being careful with our words is important. The amount of times they hear someone go up and sometimes they are, they happen to be mediocre male talent, I have to say. And someone's like, that was amazing. And it's like, can we just think about what we're saying to that person? Is that fair to them? And what is that creating in terms of dynamics? Um, mm-hmm. Because I think, yeah, but I don't know if you guys feel that way. Becky and Alex and Hannah, but I hear a lot of great job The people, like, let's be fair, was that that earned?
1: Yeah, obviously it's the best policy. That's what I always say. You know, you've got to. You don't want to beef somebody up when actually that's not quite the case. And um, I mean, I've come across maybe obviously when I've I've given feedback, um, and I've you know a male colleagues given sort of the same sort of feedback with the same sort of tone, and it's sort of oh yeah, great, thanks, mate. That's really appreciate that. And then I've sort of given feedback to sort of the same sort of way that that individual has. And I've been come across as, oh, right, OK, that's a bit, bit touchy, you know, what well, was it? And I, I, I find that sometimes as a woman, you're sort of taken the wrong way with when you're giving the feedback um as if you've, you know, you've taken offense to something. And I think, you know, whether it's male or female giving that feedback, you know, I'm not, you know, Women aren't. We're not going to break. I'm. I'm. You know. I'm not going to cry because somebody's given me a bit of negative feedback. I, I, I want that because I want to that to myself. So you know, don't don't worry about you know say that negative feedback. Yeah, pile it on. I'm. I'm more more than happy to take it. But also, I don't want to come up. You know, people to point the finger and say I'm being a bit you know a bit harsh when I'm I'm giving it back out when a male colleague can do the same and it's just like oh thanks, mate pat on the back and yeah it's it's just yeah sometimes it seems like women are being aggressive when we do it when actually we're not
0: i guess that's where kind of unconscious bias and and you know historic historic patriarchy is is still prevalent within the workplace um you never know i mean that's the point of this conversation today if you shine a light on it for one person and it makes a difference then we've done our job in 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 this conversation so yeah thank you thank you becky before we jump on to our to our next topic, Alex, anything from a from a challenge perspective that you want to highlight that hasn't been brought up?
3: Yeah, um, I think most of it's kind of been been tackled. I think you know less of a challenge now because I think when I first joined the industry, I probably faced more challenges and had a lot more bias and you know had sort of some situations that were you know sexist, all that kind of stuff. I haven't seen that in the last maybe three or four years, um, but I think. One thing, if I was going to go back and give someone advice, it's that whole, you know, don't worry if you're the only female in a meeting room, you know, that kind of stuff. Don't feel intimidated by that because that frequently happens for me, you know, on a daily basis where actually my entire day I'll be the only female in every single meeting. Uh, and, you know, don't feel like that means that you're, you know, less than because maybe you don't feel like you're the, like the same as the group of people around the table. You know don't let that knock your confidence, just know that that's not a reflection on you. that's just unfortunately the industry and it is being better, so I think that's yeah, that's probably been the only thing that I don't really notice it now, but I think coming in, you might maybe be a little bit concerned that there's not that many women around me um but yeah, not to be sort of intimidated by that.
0: I think it's a really a really natural precursor to this next topic that we'll we'll jump into and discuss Um. So diversity and inclusion is a a directive of ever-growing importance within the workplace, particularly when it comes to the gender gap in technology, and obviously specifically cyber. From your experiences, are D&I directives just a tick-box exercise, or do you think companies see the value of a diverse workforce? And I guess then as an extension from that, how do we go about ensuring diversity and not only attracting, but retaining women as well i'm gonna throw that out who wants to take that one first
3: oh, i i think it's a mix my view i think it is a tick box exercise in some places um i do think people want the benefits from a diverse work- workforce but i think sometimes the approach is a little bit haphazard i mean i've had people i mean we were laughing about this um steven i've had people approach me and really upfront sort of say I've approached you because you're a woman in in cyber security, you know you're like whoa and it's like <laughs> that's not the best opener that doesn't make me feel like you've approached me because of my skills you're basically just going I found a female you know type thing Um, I so I think sometimes the approach isn't the best um, but I think companies and organizations are definitely wanting the benefits that you get from a diverse you know workforce not just from from women but you know neurodiversity all that sort of stuff um you know all the minority groups are underrepresented you know in technology etc uh you you know you we get different perspectives all that sort of stuff i think in terms of women um i would say that kind of trying to a- attract more women from my side and this might not be shared but i I don't look at roles like how much money am I going to get? What's the bonus? What's the car allowance? You know, all these like money, money, money type thing. Mine is more, if the money kind of works for me and the family, it's more right. What's the culture? You know, what are, what are the teams like? How am I going to fit in? You know, uh, is it a supportive kind of community of people? Uh, What's the kind of flexibility like? Am I going to be clockwatched? You know, what if I need to pick up my child from nursery? You know, you know, all that sort of stuff. I mean, my thankfully, You know, my wife works part time. So, you know, it's maybe less of a juggle from my side um, because I guess primarily the kind of childcare duties do fall on her. um, But, you know, that's that's not always the case for kind of women in these roles. So I think that flexibility, um, you know, that's that type of stuff. And I guess, you know, all the kind of childcare, maternity, that kind of stuff would definitely um, be what I would be looking for. So yeah, that's that's I guess my
0: my side. What about yourself, Liz? Thoughts on on
4: oh, I is, think it, it was really is it is well it a tick box? Bye, yeah. bye, uh, by Alex. Um, what I will add is um, I think if it is a tick box exercise, no one is doing very well. <laughs> um, and I know that that's so easy to say. Um, there's obviously amazing strides. There's four women on a call for a podcast that are in cybersecurity. Like I'm delighted by this. This is great. But it is disappointing to be in the boardrooms just only female. And it's, it is exhausting. I think we have to admit that. Um, so I think there's a lot that, that organizations can do um, to, to continue to, to make sure that they're committed to this. Um, I can't say that I know the answers. But I think, um, again, it isn't just about women. It's just diverse groups in general, um, age, creed, sex. And um, I think, as you mentioned, Alex, there, there's things beyond pay that matter a lot. Um, could be better paternity. You know, I think men aren't able to take as much time off and that is a problem. Um, or, or partners aren't able to take as much time off and there's a lot of restrictions around that. So um, I think making sure we're all taking um, accountability for you know, child, child rearing or given the opportunity to will change those dynamics. Um, I also think mentorship is key. um, And that is something that I've had a huge benefit of. And I I imagine you guys have in some capacity, but um, my mentors have been critical to my success. Um, They've had my back. They've encouraged me to take those roles where I felt like, oh, I only was able to do three of the five things. They said, no, 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 you're more than capable, go for it. Um, And sponsorship at senior levels is super important. And I think we need to look out for women in organizations. We need to stand by them, protect them and move them. Forward. Um, and when a m- woman leaves at a senior level, we also need to make sure we, we know that that will have knock on effects. You know, I've seen women leave and it's it's hard to watch. It makes me think, OK, were they not treated well at that level? What does this mean for me? And I think connecting with people new in their career when those things happen is important.
0: What's your experience been? Becky?
4: Um, so, like I say,
1: I think, yeah, 50-50, it, it's a box ticking exercise from my experience. Um, obviously, we can't, you know, whoever applies for the roles applies for the roles. And if a male candidate is better over a female candidate, obviously, you're going to go for who's the best fit for that job. Mm-hmm. Um, but like we say, it's being able to attract, you know, sort of a range of talent from sort of, you know, different diverse groups. And um, so my past employment, I did have some quite big issues around sort of sort of the diversity, um, sort of where I was passed up for promotion and sort of because I was deemed less flexible than my male counterparts, because at the time I was a single mother to three young children. Um and I wasn't able to, you know, stay as late. You know, I was restricted by the childcare timings. Um, you know, I couldn't sort of drop things at, you know, at, you know, drop of a hat, then go and do something else. You know, I was restricted to a point. But there was times where I was actually doing a far better job than one, you know, some of my male counterparts. But because I didn't have that flexibility and they wanted somebody that had that flexibility who might not have been as good at the day job. They sort of, you know, took over me in lines of promotion and, and it was very frustrating. And then it sort of it, it, it just damaged your confidence. And then. That then has a knock on effect on how you sort of push yourself, you know, going forward and um, say my last role, um, you know, it came to the point where I could no longer sort of juggle trying to have a family life and a career. And it was so disheartening to sort of get passed over, you know, because I wasn't that flexible sort of. And you know, individual for the role that I felt that oh, you know, I can't give as much to this job as obviously somebody else can. So I made the decision to to, to leave. I mean, I absolutely loved my job, loved the role that I was doing, but you know, it just didn't work for sort of that work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know, whatever sort of you know background you're coming from, you, everyone wants that work-life balance. And you know, sometimes it it seems that naturally it falls you know to to the mother, you know, the child rearer who sort of, had, you know, it, oh, it's their role to be the primary child care provider. So, you know, male counterparts are seen as, oh, well, you know, your wife can look after your kids while you come and do that. And I think there is still that view and it's sort of we need to sort of evolve with that and say, well, actually, you know what? If 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 the, if the partner has as much sort of maternity leave, so to speak, paternity leave, as the child rearer, uh, you know, then it sort of levels up that playing field, doesn't mm-hmm. it? But I think I think there's a lot of work to do in the background for those sort of sort of you know the, that baseline standard to make it an even playing field for everybody. Yeah. So there isn't room for this sort of um, negative impact on sort of on that sort of thing so yeah so I've not had the best experience but coming into sort of the role that I'm in now I can see you know there is changes happening slowly but there are changes happening and I think sort of you know the younger generation as they're coming through they're a lot more sort of actually no I don't I won't accept this this is how I want it and I'm I, you know I really hope that that is going to drive the future and how things and how things go and I, I meet, I'm a mother to three young boys um so you know obviously surrounded by yeah men all the time at work and at home but you know very sort of vocal on sort of how you know how equal everything is and I hope that they grow up to be young men that sort of you know don't just sort of have those stereotypical views and I, I, you know hopefully they won't do but I don't think they will but I think there is a lot of work to do still to sort of break those barriers um, and those barriers I do think impact on getting women to come into this role like we say mm-hmm. the pay isn't always the greatest security doesn't make money it might save money but it doesn't make money um, so I think that does have a bit of an impact because obviously we want to provide the best for our family but also do a job that we love but sometimes the roles aren't, you know, that best suited for that, and it's just difficult trying to balance and juggle everything. And yeah, I think they could just be a bit more done to to allow sort of less balls to have to juggle to to do that.
0: Yeah, I think it's something that that resonates very very loudly with me at the minute. That Becky, as a as a, as a new father to to my first child, the expectation that I would only take two weeks off and my wife could have up to a year off, um. It is a tough thing for me to have to go through as a father because I'd love to spend more time with my daughter. She's amazing. Um, uh, But the expectation is that that will be my wife's job and I will be back to work in two weeks. Um, Which, fine, I can deal with it. I'm going back to work. But what if she was the one who wanted to go to work? There's a hell of a lot more paperwork and justification we have to do to be able to balance that maternity paternity leave as opposed to just take it as what is built in as standard and statutory um, statutory leave? It's it, it's a tough thing to navigate, and and I think bettering how people see the caregiver within a family, bettering how people see mothers within not just cyber but the tech space and and, and indeed the workforce in general. I think I think that's a modernisation we have to get to. I think yeah, it absolutely, absolutely. is.
1: I think COVID's helped in a way with the whole working from home because that has been an absolute lifesaver for myself, Um, you know, having that flexibility. So obviously, you know, I wouldn't wish that, that sort of situation absolutely, you know, certainly wouldn't vote to have that sort of happen again. But it did highlight the fact that, you know what, actually, there are ways that we can work that are more inclusive, that why have these never been explored before? Obviously, we can do it because we had to do it, you know, just, you know, click of a finger, right? Everyone worked from home and so we can do it. So why weren't we doing it before? So I think rather than having something like that have to happen again for us to ask those questions and look sort of ways to go forward and with that, you know, the, the way that we work, we should be continuing doing that now and saying okay well we managed to do that and change the ways of working. with mm-hmm. that well how else can we build on this let's keep going with it while we've got the traction let's keep going let's see how we can make it better and you know let's see what we can do to to allow that career progression as well for women that do take that maternity leave off you know there's a long time to be out but actually if they're happy to sort of you know keep sort of dipping the toe in while they're on maternity if, if they've got that opportunity then then great you know but I know, say, there's a lot of women in the workplace that's sort obviously of, gone maternity leave, and they don't, you know, have any contact with the workplace while they're off, and it's you then feel isolated, and yeah. it, again, it, it causes more issues for for the women coming back into the workforce and stuff. So, yeah, I think there's some really good ways that we can progress with sort of you know how we've been left post COVID.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're right, and I think if I'm totally honest, that could be a discussion we could have for. For hours of its own, I think. I think, yeah, there's there's a lot there that you've said. Well, there's a lot that we've all said that, that I think is. Yeah, I'm
1: trying not to ramble too much no, 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 it no, but it's it, into the it, gen-
0: from... It's genuinely it's okay. interesting to hear it from other people's point of views. It really is because obviously, you know, within the recruitment space, I deal with people all the time, and you hear spots of things from individuals. But then to to hear that reiterated and hear that, um, you know, that I guess feedback loop again, it just to me. It it highlights the importance of the influence I have to have with the the companies I work with to you know to to try and make diversity a genuine you know a genuine importance. Hannah, um, I'm just going to throw this one to you. What why yeah. is diver- what why is diversity important? Why why should we? investing in it
2: well it's interesting as it? so i've listened and i've gone and i've, I've gone you know liz and alex and becky and i've gone yeah absolutely great i'm nodding furiously because i've experienced a lot of what you're saying now around childcare and all the other areas as well um and it's massively important so i know we've mostly talked about this but obviously i work for slimming world um and the one thing about slimming World that's very different and is one thing that attracted me at the time is that le- their leadership team is mostly women <laughs> It's the complete opposite. It's the strange, not the strangest things. It's, it's amazing, actually. It's really interesting because it's a different take on things. To still get the same things done, we still achieve the same things, but it's just a slightly different slant on it. Um, so inclusivity there in terms of that male-female divide actually is already there. But our other areas, like everybody else's, everybody is, it, it, you know, cultural. It, it's um, inclusivity for, um, for. Well, my words have gone but you know it's not just about the male female divide it's actually about everything else it's about mm-hmm. uh, different ethnicities and bringing that sort of um you know di- cultural and uh, diver- diversity to to our to the business so yeah um i've experienced it i don't experience it now at all actually i have the opposite um, however i don't know if you find the same that when i go to recruit i still have it it's still nine times out of 10, I'll be lucky if I get a female CV, but I'll get men. I'll get plenty of yeah. male CVs, which is absolutely fine. You know, my team is such because that's just the need of the business. And at that point, but we just don't, we just don't, we don't naturally, I don't know. If, I, don't, I don't know if you say, because of how we write these CVs or it's just because of the, the, the availability of the industry, but in the main, we don't get it and we don't get yeah. it through our, uh, through our recruitment and stuff. So, Yeah, um, but you're absolutely right, you know, these things are massively important, you know, how we are treated and how we are treated when we have children and we are the main caregivers and things are are fundamental to how we choose roles, certainly for myself and obviously I can say for Alex and Becky and I guess I imagine Liz as well, um, it's fundamental how we choose those roles but how do you attract those talent if you don't promote it and i think that's possibly the bigger area is the benefits that actually are not specific to women because that's that's wrong because there are plenty of men that look after the children as well but also to say that these these uh you know but ben- they're not benefits are they? they're they just basic human rights basic human needs to say we need to look after our children can yeah. you facilitate that i will do all your hours i'll do everything you can but give me that flexibility i think that's probably where we're more is probably what we're swaying into than from possibly the diversity and inclusion i think that's the inclusion part mm. we miss
0: amazing again a really natural sidestep into what I'm going to lump together as two kind of topic areas. So to to, to come back to something you mentioned earlier, Becky, uh, this is this is something that I really want to flag up as as an issue, and I've spoke to you all individually about the imposter syndrome phenomenon. Um, so just to make it clear for anybody listening if you haven't heard of the imposter syndrome it's basically what Becky was talking about earlier that psychological phenomenon in which uh, individuals believe that their skills or their abilities aren't to a standard that they need to be or any successes um, that they experience they're not deserved or or earned Um, and from my experience but also from a few studies that I've read as well this phenomenon seems to be one that is attached far more to the female experience than it is to the male experience um and and obviously you, you spoke to that uh to to that earlier becky and we had a lot of nodding heads going on and an agreement um with that point what do you think we can do to help female members of our community kind of circumvent it away from the case of just believing yourself what can we do as recruiters as managers as employers what can we do to try and circumvent that individual psychological concern of we are an imposter we don't have all the skills and what do you think if we if we then extend that question slightly from a recruitment perspective what can we do to ensure that opportunities are fairly represented for women I ask this very pointedly because I try to do so much about it already it's something I I actively think about every time I, I I try to recruit a role. So it it really does matter to me and I'm really interested in in what you've got to say on it. So how, how do how do we do that as potential employers as a marketplace? How how do we get around those those issues? Go on, Liz.
4: Yeah, I mean, I have a lot to say on this topic. I think Amazing. Um I think there's a few things. I think one is I I kind of hate the term imposter syndrome. I kind of hate everything about it. Um, I know it's real. I know it exists. But I almost think we as women need to shed from it as well. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember telling my husband once, I think I had imposter syndrome. He said, you don't. You don't have it. You're a very confident person. Like, don't even put that idea in your head. I know um, that's not necessarily true. I imagine this is something that I think all of us have dealt with in some capacity, but I think we need to kind of figure out what it is we're good at and really know that about ourselves and then have people, mentors, leaders, point those things out as well. I think as a leader, you have an obligation to know your strengths of your team and make sure that they know the strengths as well that they have and that they possess. If you're a leader who is not sharing that with your team, regularly it doesn't need to be every day but every month I think that's a problem because I think that's when this happens when people don't feel recognized not everyone is going to be great at everything but um it's important that you know what you're good at and that your leader identifies that as well but um I think we kind of need to step away from imposter syndrome um and it's not that we don't have it but I think it's that uh, I don't know I I think sometimes we we it kind of keeps us back but i don't know if you guys feel that same icky ickiness with the word i don't like it
0: <laughs> go on if anybody want to jump in go on back yeah,
1: so, yeah. So i think it also feeds slightly back into the, what we discussed discussing earlier about that feedback point because i know when mm. i've been in board meetings and sort of you know giving presentations and briefs and stuff and you're you know you know what you're talking about, you know you're putting yourself across and you know you've gone through it, you you know your stuff but when you're looking out in that room and there's just a sea of heads looking back at you and it's just blank and there's no nodding along or sort of looking like they're listening to you, then in like in my head I'm like oh god am I making sense? have I literally just told said a load of stuff that they've got no idea what I'm talking about and then I start going in my own mind and I'm like but I know that I know what I'm talking about Mm. but I think like say that feedback piece would certainly help with that if there was a bit more sort of you know Just looking like they're actually taking in what you're saying. I get that people sort of get fed up with, you know, having information thrown at them all the time. But obviously, you know, as is security and stuff, you know, knowledge is power and all that. So, you know, you want to impart that knowledge on on onto your staff and 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 your team and stuff. So it's just having that feedback from them and that engagement, I think, would massively help with that. Um, and I think sort of when we're looking around sort of the recruitment of, say, roles, and it's I think a lot of individuals have so much experience but because they don't have those specific qualifications listed you know the cysticism, the you know all these acronyms for what have you again it's like oh well okay yeah I've got maybe 10 years experience and I know I do all what's in within those qualifications I do all that but because I don't have that formal qualification clearly I'm not good enough and I don't know what I'm doing so I can't do that job when not the case at all and I think I think with our environment and our sort of with security, cybersecurity, information security, I think there should be more emphasis on that that, um, experience and that knowledge. And, you know, if there's a qualification that somebody needs to have, then great, they could maybe work towards that, because sometimes being able to get those qualifications it's a financial thing because I know for myself, I didn't have the finances to put myself through these qualifications. Mm -hmm. But obviously once you're in a role and if there's a great sort of learning and development programme within the company that you're working in and they can help towards that cost of the training, you've got the knowledge, you've got the experience and it's just gaining that formal qualification. But just because you're going into the role without that formal qualification does not mean you don't know what you're doing It doesn't mean you can't do that. So I think that's something else that could massively help with that.
0: I think I'm I'm very passionate about trying to reform, certainly on an individualistic level, but with the people that I work with as well, trying to reform how we go about communicating the relevant skills for a role, because the 20 essential criteria and the 15 desirable criteria that we've listed uh, in a job description that is only going to serve to put anybody off, but particularly someone who is less confident in their skill set, I think it's a bit of an archaic way of doing it. And, and, and I think it only serves to, I guess, penalize people who don't want to BS their way through interviews and applications, you know, people will, will lie. I've seen, I've seen candidates lie their way through interviews and, and they, they've done so because they've had the confidence to to big up certain skills or experiences in other areas where other people don't want to do that. And they're put off by, like you said, the certifications they don't have, the experience with specific technology they don't have. Um, yeah, interesting. Alex, let me, th- let me throw to you what you think we can do, particularly on the recruitment piece.
3: I think, so definitely putting more emphasis on... So there's, there's a lot of emphasis on the technical. I still see it in job descriptions and job adverts now. It's kind of like the more acronyms that you have at, at the end of your and I'm absolutely guilty of this. you know. In my kind of earlier years, my confidence came from how many qualifications and certifications I had because I thought I can walk in them room with all these kind of architects and you know senior network engineers um, because I've got you know all of these qualifications and it gave me that confidence boost but I think you know, I kind of probably fell victim to that sort of set of you know technical is confidence and technical mm. is kind of what you need really when it's not because like we keep saying it's so broad that actually I don't use my technical skills on a daily basis and there are are roles where you probably won't ever need to understand you know the osi model and all this that sort of stuff you know because you'll be in awareness you'll do governance risk and compliance you'll do all of all of that other stuff um so i think less definitely less kind of weight on that and more on the i mean i i've when i've gone through a round of recruitment i score people on their kind of passion for cybersecurity and information security and you know that kind of that self-study and just like the attitude and the mindset that for me is so much more important than you know all these acronyms and certifications that you've got and I think with the recruitment process is understanding that yes I guess women maybe some other minority groups will talk themselves out of it so I mean I got contacted about a head of information security role with it was like a six-stage interview process and as I was being told about all these different stages and all this stuff and go down to London and do all this with and I was thinking like no I can't get this job straight away and I think having uh, that sort of you know really lengthy full-on competitive process you're probably going to put off a lot of people who are probably qualified and experienced Mm -hmm. for the role but they just look at that and think this isn't for me I'm gonna sort of you know fail I'm not gonna do the job Uh, I have seen some adverts where I think at the bottom, they kind of highlight that, like, if you don't tick all the boxes, please still get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. And I think that's quite nice that they're recognising that maybe people might discount themselves, um, but still get in touch, you know, so it's like almost that caveat. But yeah, yeah more of that, I would say. Um, that's,
0: it's really interesting about the lengthy interview process. Um, I, I hate them anyway. I think they're they're entirely pointless when you get past three stages because you're just rehashing old ground. But I'd never thought about it as that competitive element being something that would put people off. That's really interesting. Really interesting. Hannah, any final thoughts before we wrap up?
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, I think going through imposter syndrome and when you you advertise, I think... We should understand that people have these these skills because that's why they're applying, because they understand what the role is. And you explaining it and breaking it down for them is not necessarily something they actually need. What's Mm. more and more important is what's the cultural fit? You know, how are the leadership in a team going to support you? How is that going to move you forward? You know, because they're the things that people are interested in. You know, you would assume people have these core skills, they're going to do that because that's what they've got. And if they're qualified, even if they're not, it, it, a piece of paper doesn't make you better than anybody else who's done it for 10 years. It's just, you know, it's it. But you say, I'm as guilty as you, Alex. Oh, yes, yeah, so if I get CISM, I'll be great. And then if I go and do CISM, and I thought, well, I'll know that bit. But the reality is, they're not like you say, not things that I talk about on a daily basis. And I think it's important when we recruit that we look at how culturally they'll fit in with the business, because it doesn't matter how clever they are and how skillful they are. If they can't mix with the rest of the business, then they become, it's not going to work for them. And that could bring on imposter syndrome because they're not naturally linking to the people in the business. So they don't feel they're getting their point across and then you get into that perpetual cycle. So for me personally, do think it's it's about the inclusivity can you fit in with us and if you're missing something we can work with it you know and, and I think that's how the job indif- job profiles need to change and, and display that so let's talk about how you could fit in culturally and then we'll talk about the other part because you've applied at this point so we assume you already know A- yeah. and I would go from that aspect and that's how I've done it in the last last couple I've done and I've actually you know brought on some amazing people amazing people you know because that's not the focus. The focus is will they fit in? Will they be able to get across what they're trying to achieve? And and that's where we are. So yeah, that's probably my take on it if that goes with everybody else.
0: Oh, amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I mean, we're unfortunately coming to the end of our time uh, today, but this conversation is just the beginning as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Addressing and rectifying the gender gap within cybersecurity is more than just one conversation. It's more than just a directive. Um, It's something that's going to take years to solve. If we've said something or shared a poignant idea or something that's resonated with you listening today, though, we've made a good start. Um, And it's something that I want to continue this conversation on. Diversity and inclusion is such an interesting topic, no matter what area of the community you're from, particularly within cybersecurity, because potential cyber security threats can come from anybody so if we have a misrepresentation of the community within our workforce we potentially don't have that same thought power that a individual attacker a, a criminal a governmental threat might bring to us before we end the podcast uh, i'd like to say thank you so much to to all of our guests for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation um, thank you to to hannah johnson at slimming world thank you to alex vucic at uh, the university of northampton Thank you to Becky McClory at Paylink Solutions and thank you to Liz Green at Dell. If you are hiring for cybersecurity or information security talent or looking for a new role yourself, please feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I'm Stephen Mann, and you can find me on LinkedIn or an email. I am Stephen with a ph dot man. M-A-N-N at evolutionjobs.co.uk or you can visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK. Thanks again to all our guests and thank you for listening and we hope you can join us for the next one.